1: Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right. And we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you small town dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode one drops on August 30th. We'll meet meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.
2: And welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been, I think, just watching recently, but I'm not positive. I'm Terry, and I'm sick.
3: I'm Mary Beth, and I'm wearing my flannel that just came out of the dryer, and I feel like the happiest
2: child. You look very nice and cozy.
3: Thank you. It's going to ice storm like I told you offline, so I'm like getting, I got giant slippers on. I'm just ready to be a cozy lady. But this week, we are talking a sleepy but fun haunted house movie. Sensual Chapstick, A Fantasy no. Heist, Fucked Up Apologies, uh, A Wild Korean Series, A Wild Serial Killer Movie, and The Return of a Killer Doll. We both thought we had nothing to talk about, and we actually-
2: and Look at us now, we have a lot.
3: <laughs> okay, I want to hear about a sleepy but fun haunted house movie.
2: Okay, so if you are a patron, you will have seen a post I made that I want to get back into- Clearing out my backlog of movies that if you're watching this video, you can see behind me. I have a ton of movies that I have collected on physical media that I have not watched. About a year ago, I was doing a really good job of, of watching one for each episode. And then it just sort of fell by the wayside. And I was like, you know what? This would be fun. I'll have patrons tell me what to watch. And so I got a list and I'm going to start going through them. But if you are a patron and you want to dictate some weird ass movie, because there are some weird ones over here.
3: It's called vinegar syndrome, so it's all stuff that like know that like uh-huh. weird ass stuff.
2: <laughs> and speaking of vinegar syndrome, my first movie is a vinegar syndrome release. Yay! It is. Uh, it was recommended from Justin Nordell, who was a former guest of the show. Uh, bloody did I, did I say the title? Uh, my mind he did is not. Gone.
3: I have no idea. It what is I'm talking
2: about. Bloody New Year.
3: Okay. 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 Okay.
2: Funny enough, does not take place at New Year. <laughs> But it takes place at this haunted motel that is stuck on New Year's Eve, but it takes place in July. There's a lot going on in this movie. It starts at a fairground where there's like an altercation that leads this group of British people. It takes place in Britain and one American to like get together and try to flee. There's like a car chase that ends up with them in a boat that is sailing away that ends up crashing and then they get stuck on this island. (laughs) In a hotel that's set up for New Year's, but it's July and there's no power. As they're walking through, weird things start to happen. Like a magazine flips itself over. A maid comes in at one point and gives someone a blanket and then vanishes. A faucet starts moving while someone's trying to take a bath. Someone hears music and they see a a musician duo playing that vanishes. They're stuck here on this island. There's no power. They don't know how to get off of it because their boat crashed. Um, and then they decide to randomly watch this movie, or this movie is playing, and they start to like sit down and watch it. And someone comes through <laughs> the movie screen and attacks someone and kills someone. And then all of a sudden, there's like weird possession, sort of evil dead-ish, sort of like a possession story. You've
3: told me like six different movies. I
2: feel <laughs> like I like this is a kitchen sink approach to movies. There is wow. like there's hoodlums that 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 were chasing <laughs> them that end up. At the island as well, chasing them again. One of the people turns into some kind of like zombie thing and starts attacking people. It's it's there's a lot going on in this in this little movie from 1987, I think, is when it came out. At one point the foil, the foliage starts laughing at them. Are they like, on mushrooms? Just- Maybe they are. Maybe that would explain a whole lot. They're like walking through the forest and the bushes start shaking going. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) the And
3: it's never like explained again or gone back to.
2: No. Okay. This movie has a lot of like set pieces, these individual set pieces that are are kind of fun, but there's like no rhyme or reason to what's really happening. And then you find out why everything is happening at the very end. And it's, it's really silly, but uh, this movie is, it's, it's 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 a little sleepy. I was a little bored in spots. But there are some really good practical effects. When I say really good practical effects, I mean for this movie, <laughs> there's effects that, like, surprise me that definitely feel like it's kind of punching above its weight. I constantly found myself going, oh, okay, with some of the horror gags. There's some really kind of fun moments where a hoodlum punches his fist through a woman that turns into a possessed zombie and throws him through a wall. Like, there's just, there's a lot going on in this. There's a lot of fun special effects in this. And there's some really good special effects, considering this is probably a very low budget. It was a direct-to-video release in Britain. But it was fun. and I I had a good time. This was one of the better uh, Vinegar Syndrome releases. I mean, because let's be honest, sometimes Vinegar Syndrome movies, as much as I enjoy them, they're not the cream of the crop. But this one is probably one of the better ones I've seen.
3: I really like the poster.
2: Yeah, the poster's fun.
3: Cool. I love Vinegar Syndrome. Fuck yeah. I love it when you say it's like kind of boring and then you say all the things before that. Like it's just <laughs> it's in a way that only vinegar syndrome movies and when I say that I mean like very specific B movies from the eighties can accomplish. Like it is rather impressive. So yeah. good for that. And
2: I mean, I gotta say that uh cast is game. They're having a lot of fun, it seems like. Oh yeah. So I, I mean that. there's there's like there's there's a, a hominess to it that I just I I, it won't work for everyone, but for me, I was like, "This is this is entertaining," and I I get why uh, Justin recommended it. So thank you.
3: Wait, that's so Justin. funny. This the guy who directed Bloody New Year also directed Prey, which is another Vinegar Syndrome movie about like a weird alien, like a fox. Oh alien. shit, really? Yeah, and it has lesbians in it. Good for him.
2: Yeah, I kind of want to um, see that now.
3: I own that one. I haven't seen it, but I own it because I like the idea of lesbians and an alien. So
2: it's not hard to <laughs> sounds like me. a fun Saturday night.
3: <laughs> That's what I'm saying.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going to try to keep this going. So if you guys have recommendations, uh, make sure you're a patron and, and throw them out there. I'm going to also maybe throw up some polls to like see what to do next and take pictures that are a, bit, a little bit better of the movie's choices and get a little bit more organized. But I think it'll be fun. But let's talk about yeah. I got a sensual he- chapstick. I I saw that out there and I was like, okay, what what's going on here?
3: So this this is Park Chan Wook's new film, Decision to Leave. And yes, ah. I decided to bury the lead with sensual <laughs> chapstick because, and there's a good reason for it. I promise. But so this is Park Chan Wook's new film. Uh, one of the movies I've been really dying to see this year. It is Me finally too. out on Mubi. Um, if you don't have Mubi, you can do a seven day free trial to watch this, which oh. is what i did just because it's also I'm out really...
2: to, on vod too it is yeah i didn't know it was a movie that's awesome it's
3: on a movie yeah okay so um so park chan wook has done films like old boy sympathy for lady vengeance uh the handmaiden thirst mm-hmm. which i tweeted about yesterday so i was very excited for his new movie and this one is very much an, a play on noir uh, oh, a korean okay. detective named haijoon is investigating the death of a a man who it might have been a suicide might not have been and he talks to the his the man's widow who is a Chinese woman living in Korea and they soon begin a um, strange and complicated relationship. The first half is very much kind of a standard like procedural-y kind of crime movie and then the back half as is Park Chan-wook's style, is absolutely wild. And it is one of the more sensual movies without sex that I've seen in a long time. There's this, I say sensual chopstick. so Hai-jun is the detective and then Seol rae is the woman who is played by Tang-wei. And I'll talk about her in a second because she's fucking perfect. They have this like orbit around each other. It's very weird. It's got like a lot of sexually charged energy, but also she's a suspect. So it's very the femme fatale investigator vibe. And it's, but there's a moment where they're just standing in the rain and she just goes up to him starts fishing out in his pockets and like gets his chapstick, looks at it and puts on his chapstick and puts it back in his jacket pocket. Then she goes to the other pocket and pulls out some mints and takes a mint. Like it is the most sensual thing. And she does it multiple times. And I was like, all right, like new... (laughs) erotic fixation found (laughs) like just the familiarity with with, like that she kind of has with him and and his person is very intimate to watch Mm -hmm. and i again like we don't see a lot of intimacy like this on screen i think and i wouldn't i don't think i would go as far to call this an erotic thriller because it's not very erotic but there are whispers of that over this that i was incredibly impressed by um so is the moment she is the queen. She is everything to me. She plays this character like she's a perfect femme fatale in this movie. Like with this kind of air, this kind of charismatic cat. I hate using cat like, but there's something about her that is very alluring, but also something that sets your alarm bells off a little bit. But that, but even though she sets off the alarm bells, there's also something really like interesting about that, and the way that Tong Wei who is a Chinese actor, is able to create that air in her performance is absolutely stunning. Um, I will say this is not my favorite Park Chan-wook movie, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but Thirst, his 2009 vampire movie, is a perfect movie, and there is no topping that. I think he does a lot of really cool stuff here with playing with metaphors and characters, but I just, it's not as shocking as I think, okay. and not that all of his movies have to be shocking and everything, but like it's definitely a little bit more subdued than his previous work and i also think he uses score too hard in this movie where it kind mm-hmm. of overshadows and gets a little bit over dramatic and funny like so this is actually a kind of a darkly funny movie in parts which i appreciated okay. but the music makes it feel way too silly at points when it's not supposed to be silly So, I understand. It is a very good movie. I've really enjoyed it. It's just not Park Chan-wook's, like, best work, but also that's fucking hard to do because Park Chan-wook is an incredible director and makes incredible work all the time. And, like, even this is a four-star movie to me. But, yeah, it's incredible. So, definitely check this one out if you're a Park Chan-wook fan, if you're a Korean cinema fan. If you just want, like, a good sensual crime thriller thing that gets into your head, I think you definitely check this out. And it's on Movie and available on demand. So
2: I feel like I need to go through his filmography because I'm looking at his IMDb page and I've only seen two of his movies. What have you seen? The Handmaiden mm-hmm. and Stoker.
3: Oh boy. You haven't seen the good, good shit. That is not shitting on Stoker or Handmaiden, but you haven't seen the revenge movies.
2: I haven't seen Old Boy, I haven't seen Lady Vengeance, Three Extremes, oh. Thirst. I haven't seen any of these. They're really good. I Old know. Boy's,
3: Old Boy fucked. But I love yeah, Old Boy.
2: I think something got ruined for Old Boy for me, but I'm not quite positive.
3: Even if you know like how things go, it's still incredible to watch. Like you still want to watch it. Sympathy for Lady Vengeance is absolutely I haven't seen Mr. Vengeance, because I've heard like not so great things, but Lady Vengeance is incredible.
2: Okay. Yeah, I was, I think I was waiting because, like, I was like, uh, I should watch it. But then I was like, oh, I think someone is doing a 4K restoration of Old Boy, a 4K edition of it. And I was like, maybe I'll wait for that. I don't know if that's out yet or not because I, I sort no of lost idea. track. But, like, I should, I should just dig in and watch his movies. I don't know why Ooh. I haven't.
3: And then, um, Song Kang Ho from Parasite is mm-hmm. in Thirst. He's the vampire priest mm-hmm. in Thirst. And Thirst. Is the sexiest movie of all time. So you should watch it. I love okay. guys, in case you're not, in case you had any doubt, I really love Thirst.
2: <laughs> Do you love Thirst? I wasn't quite sure. Are you thirsty for Thirst?
3: Oh, that shirt. Thirsty was... for Thirst. <laughs> but yeah, decision to leave, y'all. Check it okay. the fuck out. But going from sensual chopstick to a fantasy heist.
2: A whole other end of the this. spectrum. <laughs> So I am a huge Dragon Age fan. Um, I love those video games. And I was really excited when I heard Netflix was doing a animated series based on it. And it is now out. It is called Dragon Age Absolution. I really dug it. I think um, I was curious to see what they're going to do with it because like Dragon Age has a whole lot of mythology behind it. And I was kind of curious to see what they were going to do with a six episode, 30 minutes each Uh, series that is going to be not isolating to new people that might not be familiar with the video games, but also kind of scratch the itch for those that are fans of the video games because there's a lot to do. And so if for those that are fans of the video games, this takes place after Dragon Age Inquisition, which was the last game that was released. It references the Inquisition, but I think it does a very good job of telling a very... Intimate story that is that is focused on the characters and there's a little bit of world building around it, but for the most part, it is just a, a focus on a heist that goes horribly wrong. And it feels almost like, if you were to play a D&D game, this feels like sort of the opening chapter that kind of gets the people together and gets them on a, on a quest that will probably be big. So all six episodes are all about this heist, where... They um, there's like a separate groups of people that end up getting pulled together to go steal this MacGuffin artifact out of the Chantry. And the Chantry is this organization that has mages that and the mages in this in this world um, are there's like a there's a whole lot of going on there. But like the story is there's this Chantry, there's people going in to steal this artifact. One of the people in this group was in the Chantry at one point you there's like some sort of PTSD element there and she doesn't want to go back to it, but she's being forced to go back and confront her past. And it's very gay. This show is very gay. There is a queer relationship at the front and center of the story. There is a flirtatious banter between two of the men. uh, And I was really curious to see where that was going to go. And that is four of like five or six, like of the main characters are queer. Yeah. and that's fucking awesome
3: look netflix is knocking it out of the park with these like video animated video game like extensions i yes like transylvania for fuck's sake castlevania <laughs> the cyberpunk series i didn't watch the cyberpunk series but steve mm-hmm. did and said it fucking emotionally destroyed him And i know that tony kaufman also watched it and said it emotionally destroyed him too and i'm excited about dragon age oh and they also did um another one too i can't remember which
2: fucking they did the league of legends one league of
3: legends that's right um, like shit all right cool good for like netflix that's
2: awesome i feel like i feel like they're going all in on video game adaptations and doing them in the right way uh because i i mean i i've only seen the first season of castlevania but i really dug it i need to i need to finish go down Darn that that me. rabbit hole it's i know i know so good but i i'm being attacked something is flying in the air <laughs>
3: It's it's Dracula. He's attacking
2: you for much (laughs) in Castlevania. The the cast behind this show, they also did not spare any expense because first of all, it has well, it has Matthew Mercer, who people know from Critical Role, and he's a voice actor and a whole bunch of other stuff. He plays one of the characters, Phil Lamar. Who Oh you know, I remember him from like Mad TV, but he is also a very uh good voice actor, isn't it? My bae, Ashley Birch, is, a, is plays a character in this. I love Ashley Birch. She plays a- Aloy in the um Horizon series. Um oh.
0: Tiny, ha, Tina.
2: Aloy. <laughs> uh, Tiny Tina in the Borderlands video games. Oh, um,
3: oh, 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 oh. Okay.
2: Yeah, she, she's she been in a lot. She's also in, um, oh, Life is Strange. She plays Chloe in Life is Strange, but she voices a character in Attack on Titan. She's also in Mythic Quest.
3: It's cool that they're getting people who have done video games before, or some yes. people are doing video games before, like to get to do these roles too.
2: Her character is is one of my favorites in this. Uh, So it's just it's a lot of fun. And I think that it's a good entry point for those who might not be familiar with it. There's going to be some terminology that you might want to go to Wikipedia for to like figure out or the wikis on it. But like, I think this is a very self-contained story that is a good entry point. And I had a lot of fun.
3: I know that uh, Steve is excited to watch it. Because it's good. A couple, of him and a couple of our friends, are obsessed with Dragon Age, so maybe Me I'll too. watch it with him and then I'll get. I recommend
2: Dragon it. Age. I think you'll enjoy it. Fucked up apologies.
3: We're swinging right back into the world <laughs> of the real, uh, with my with my next one, which is, which is called The Apology, uh, mm. which is oh, on okay. Shutter now, directed by Allison Starlock, uh, and starring in a Gunn of um, Breaking Bad fame. She was Skyler. And also Linus Roche, who played the uh, horrific cult leader in Mandy.
2: Oh, okay.
3: Yes. Yeah, so it's a pretty simple movie. Uh, it twenty years after the disappearance of her daughter, Anna Gunn's character is on. It's on Christmas Eve. She's hosting Christmas for the first time in twenty years. She's a recovering alcoholic. She's like you know grappling with the disappearance of her daughter, but also trying to kind of like pick up the pieces and keep living her life as well. And it, there's just kind of this interesting tension between wanting to find answers about her daughter and wanting to, you know, continue to live her life. So she is just kind of... It's an its an interesting take, like, how we see true crime stuff. And it's like, oh, this is a sensational story. And this is kind of, like, the aftermath of someone just by themselves on Christmas... Christmas Eve, like, kind of trying to reflecting on her past and everything so uh and then there's a knock at the door we love an ominous horror knock you know there's always a good like you know we always know what's going well and it is her a strange brother-in-law linus roach's character and she's like uh haven't seen you in a hot hot goddamn minute what's going on and they have this like you know, they're interacting, they're talking and reminiscing. And then he uh, drops a bomb, which, you know, it's not a spoiler if you can kind of infer what I'm talking about with the bomb that he drops. And then from there, it becomes this wild ass inversion of a home invasion movie Um that is like pretty violent uh, oh. for a chamber piece like this. Oh. Because it really is like this is like a play. It's the two. A lot of it is dialogue. The two of them kind of talking um waxing poetic about literature and then it shifts but what Locke does really well is utilizing the space of the house and when we kind of learn the truth about what's going on it he's er, while he was already in the house and he is a family member it becomes like a home invasion movie and a woman trying to protect herself from someone who is an asshole So I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. Um, I wasn't really sure what to expect because it, it, again, it is like a play in a way. Mm -hmm. But, and it's very much character driven, but the performances by Anna Gunn and Linus Roche are so good. They really ground like this pretty kind of small budget, like kind of, you know, there's not a ton going on visually all the time, but they get creative with that. But the performances are incredible. It's a really good, grim holiday movie. That's not like supernatural or like killer Santas, but it's just like, hey, the holidays means some come. Sometimes people crawl out of the woodwork, and they have some fucked up things to tell you, and you have to grapple with that. And I think it's also just like a really, also a really fascinating take on a woman directed revenge tale. And we all know how I feel about those. So you
2: hate them, I all hate. of them. Get rid of them. All. <laughs> <laughs> Only men. Only. Men. <laughs> <laughs> she's shooting daggers at me a- anyway
3: Sorry. um <laughs> but yeah that is out on shutter if you're looking for something a little bit sad a little bit weird to watch uh check out the apology
2: hell yeah i meant to check that one out and i'm I'm excited that it's good i i need to to catch up on that one
3: yeah i liked it quite a bit very much chamber piece um janine groff was in it for like five minutes i love yeah. her
2: yeah, I always think about her character in The Truth About Cats and Dogs. There's no reason why you would have, but there's like, she, if I remember correctly, she plays this character that's like a, a radio host of, of like some cat, like animal uh, radio show, which is weird. But I just remember her getting a phone call and she's like, you can love your pets. You just can't love your pets. And that's what I remember. That's what I think about whenever I think of Janine Garofalo. Set non sequitur, but there you go. Welcome to Terry's mind.
3: Uh, let's go back even more to Terry's mind with this wild Korean series.
2: So you kind of buried the lead a bit with the sensual chapstick moment, and this show buries the lead at least on IMDb. This IMDb synopsis is so ill-equipped to deal with this this, this TV series. So I, I, first of all, Hulu just sort of dropped it. It's called Connect. It's Takashi Miike.
3: Yes, I know. They just fucking dropped the Takashi Miike Hulu series without telling anybody. I'm sorry.
2: I got a press release the day of, but it didn't say anything that it was Takashi Miike. It just says, new series, now on Hulu. And I'm like, okay, well, where were the, where was all this hype beforehand? You're just going to drop this on me? And I go out to IMDb and I'm reading it. And it's like, okay, I'm going to read what IMDb says. A man is kidnapped and one of his eyes removed. First of all, it's not written very well either. One of his eyes removed by a gang of organ hunters. His eyes was transplanted into the body of a serial killer. The unwilling donor now has terrible visions as he witnesses terrifying attacks on the residents of Seoul. True. That is all true. But what it fails to mention is that in the opening scene this poor guy gets kidnapped by the organ these organ hunters. Is put onto an operating table where his eyes are plucked out, his stomach is cut open and and then he gets up and his body heals itself. He grabs an eye, one of his eyeballs, put, puts it in and then flees. That is what the series is forgetting to tell you. And this all happens in the opening moments because this dude, I'm, I'm not finished yet. I have two more episodes left, but this dude is somehow Immortal. And that right there is why he can see through the serial killer's eye because his body, they implant one of his body, his, his eye part. And anytime the serial killer hears a song that this guy plays that is now becoming viral across soul that no one knows who played it. Anytime he hears it, all of a sudden this poor guy can see through the serial killer's eye. And so we're following this, this guy as he's tracking the serial killer. We're following the serial killer. We're following the cops that are investigating the serial killer who start to think that the guy that had his eyes taken um, is the serial killer. And we're also f- following the organ um, hunters because they realize that they might have a cash cow on their hands with this poor guy that they can just harv- harvest organs from continually. And then there's this random um, woman that has heard about this urban legend called Connect which is about an Im- immortal beings. And so she gets caught up in it and it's all these different moving pieces as they all start to like run into each other. It's a little silly. It's not scary. Okay. But I am incredibly enthralled. It's based on a web series, like a web. Um,
3: oh, uh, okay.
2: And it, so it's, it's a little silly. It's a little comic booky, I would say in, in parts, Okay. I, I think that uh, Takashi is sort of trying to channel Hannibal, too, because the serial killer stages his victims as, like, sculptures.
3: Wait, S- what?
2: Yeah, the serial killer kills people and then paints them in resin and puts Wait, them- Wait, that's
3: so fucking funny, because I'm about to talk about something that does the exact same fucking thing.
2: Oh, seriously? It's
3: not that it's not the show.
2: Oh, that's weird.
3: That's that yeah, sounds like- he- wait did i just phase out of existence for a second
2: like yeah he stages these these bodies in like resin um and one of the first times we meet him there's this beautiful statue of this naked woman and then she starts bleeding out of her eye and like she's dead and she's encased in this resin and that's how they realize there's a serial killer on on the on the move and it's tied to like lunar tables i don't know it's weird the show is silly but i'm having a great time with it and i have two episodes left and i really recommend it That's on Hulu? Yeah. Now, I want to hear about your weird serial killer movie.
3: So, okay. I wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about this movie or not, because I don't think it is the most successful movie. But I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since I saw it, so I feel like that's probably a sign that it's worth discussing. Okay. So, I saw this new movie called Mind Cage, which um, stars Martin Lawrence and John Malkovich and Melissa Roxburgh in a
2: wait
3: Uh uh-huh martin
2: lawrence
3: and john malkovich and
2: john malkovich okay sorry yeah uh
3: it's very it's got a similar vibe to silence of the lambs there is a a a, serial a slew of copycat killings that Martin Lawrence's character solved years ago was John Malkovich and they captured, they caught him, but now there's a copycat doing a similar thing and they're trying to figure out who's doing it. So they go to John Malkovich in prison to like get help on capturing the killer. So like definitely some sounds of the Lambs comp vibes. Like it's very, you know, but what's really interesting about it is the visual. So the when people are killed, they're, they are women specifically are killed preserved in a resin made from a specific kind of like poisonous bean. And then they're posed to look like angels. Okay. And so he, and then, so he puts these create, like these creations in different places. So like the first one is found on the front of a train. The other one's found in a church. Like, and there are these, the director, who is also was a classically trained painter and is now a director of, like, not, you know, the best movies I've ever heard of or seen, but not terrible. But the director, he's Italian. His name is Mauro Borelli. And I, I don't even know what it is about this movie because it is kind of derivative. But the twist is fucking wild. And I, like, I'm obsessed with the twist of the okay. movie. And I just want people to see it so I can hear if I'm insane for kind of liking it, even though it is kind of derivative and Martin Lawrence has a very hard time acting in a serious role. But Melissa Roxburgh, who plays like the main, like Clarice Starling stand in, was pretty Uh good. And I just think there's something very interesting going on here that isn't, you know, perfect, but it's not terrible. And I think I liked it. I think they liked it more than not. I don't know. It's like always, I know we don't want to talk about things we didn't like here. And I, again. Well,
2: we do sometimes.
3: This is a movie that like isn't going to get a lot of play, I don't think. But I also think I respect for what it's, it's tr- trying to do. It's like fall. It's got Hannibal, like the Hannibal TV show, Silence mm-hmm. of the Lambs, True Detective vibes to it. So if you like kind of Southern gothic feeling weird serial killer movies, check it out. John Malkovich okay. is pretty good. He's got a lot of hair and he looks kind of silly. I
2: saw the photo of him. I was like, oh boy.
3: Yeah, like again, it it's for all intents and purposes, like perhaps not the best movie, but the twist is incredible and like very out of left field I love and gonzo a good twist. that like makes little to no sense, but I'm obsessed with it. And I love a movie that's just like, hey, here's this really weird thing that you would not have seen coming. So good for them for doing that. Hell so yeah. that's Mind Cage. It's not on VOD. Wild. Check check it out. But okay, we have arrived at the return of a killer doll with our next stop on the Chucky train. And now we are in we're... the new era of Chucky with yep. Bride of Chucky.
2: Yeah, so what did you think about this one, Mary Beth? Because I know this was a first watch for you.
3: Absolutely motherfucking obsessed. <laughs> it's so good it's obviously a massive departure it's like incredibly (laughs) night it's like uh, what 1998 so it's an incredibly 90s movie Mm -hmm. but they just fucking so ronnie you directed it written by Don mancini but they really just threw themselves into the 90s aesthetic like they and i respect that they were just like you know what we're just gonna go for it and it's gonna be kind of it's gonna have like dirt butt metal poop metal whatever we're calling it um butt rock that's what it is butt rock
2: (laughs) i love that it opens with um living dead girl (laughs) living dead girl while tiff looks at the doll and says well hello dolly
3: (laughs) jennifer tilly is the best thing since brad durf to happen
2: uh-huh Rewatching this. She should have gotten an Oscar. Her performance She's in this is fantastic.
3: Iconic in this uh-huh. movie. The things that she says, the like Tiffany's character is everything to me. I love her so much. She's a big titty goth bitch who loves murder but also just wants to be married and have a man treat her right. And I I was Layers. dying at like these Don Manzini, who is queer writing this, writing, like, an aggressively heterosexual goth titty woman who turns into a doll who, like, can't live her, like, who just, like, has murderous obsessions but still wants to be a domestic goddess. Martha Stewart's her favorite fucking (laughs) idol. Who the fuck is Martha Stewart? This is glossing over this movie, but... This is a this is the first movie where I feel like it's the Chucky. It's the Chucky and Tiffany show. Like obviously we have Katherine Heigl and her boyfriend like road tripping to take the dolls to Oh New he is so hot,
2: by the way. Oh, I guess. No, he is so hot very bad. I guess. I was like, bee, 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 bee. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Himbo in his van just trying uh, to get another five hundred dollars to start his new life with Catherine Heigel, but all they have to do is deliver these two dolls to New Jersey so they can basically get bodies. they have a positive Inca-
2: relationship with the gay character. Like
3: I love that there was a gay character who was the best friend and also in love with the boyfriend who was so obviously trying to like manipulate, like absolutely incredible, ten out of ten. But then again, like we we have the male character calling his gay best friend, and not and there's no like gay jokes, there's no like mm-hmm. bashing, there's no weirdness. Like it's incredible. In Nineteen ninety eight, and I, re- 19- I realized yeah.
2: that Don Mancini wrote it, but also, I mean, this is a time that was fraught for queer people, and yeah. to have like this big budget, you know, movie, big budget horror movie, have a normalized queer person in it, it it, it was it was very revolutionary. For me. Particularly. Yeah. Well,
3: like, like, I mean, I never really be like, Oh, he's gay. Like, I feel like they kind of just have him be like a normal character. And like, obviously you, and you learn that he's gay, but there, it isn't like this central like facet to his identity, which I I was like, these movies really do fucking rule. But Tiffany is everything to me. I love her so much. And her and Chucky are incredible. I texted Terry this incredible moment where before Tiffany becomes the doll And she locks Chucky in the playpen that she had constructed for their child.
2: But by the way, who makes a playpen constructed for their child that also can lock?
3: I loved it. It was one of my notes. I was like, this this is like, (laughs) this bitch right here wants so badly to buy into the heteronormative patriarchal ideal and just for the life of her never will be able to. And I love that for her so much. But Chucky has toys in there and one of them's like, spell woman. And Chucky! B I T C H and just laughs to himself and like it's just it's so stupid but it makes <laughs> so me laugh. It made me laugh because I think that it's I think what I never really realized with this movie is the movie realizes it's kind of stupid and like that it's so weird but it's like but we're still gonna do it because it's funny and because we acknowledge that and have this character. I just man oh man these movies fucking roll. Tiffany is such a bad bitch. I love her so much. Barbie yeah. eat your fucking heart out when she like oh. transforms herself into She just wants to be loved.
2: She just wants to be loved. She just wants to be loved. What kills me? So there's a there's a lot of this that like jumped out at me on this rewatch that so was like, this is hilarious. The Chucky's act natural poses where he's like, act natural, and he's like <laughs> he just has like this crazy look in his eye, like, that's act natural. <laughs> or like, have I got a rubber? Tiff, look at me. I'm all rubber. <laughs>
3: I thought you were plastic. Like, the one-liners are just going. And, like, when they're fighting about Mar- who Martha Stewart is and how knives are, like, so 80s, like, that's yeah. Dahmer. Like, he- we don't use knives anymore. And then he's, and then, like, later he goes, it's a classic and, like, references the, like, Classic strapping. never dies.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I also, by the way, Diane, um, who is one of the kind of swinging kind of couple woman, that it, like wanted the Hollywood suite or the Oh yeah, suite.
3: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: That's Margot Kidder's niece.
3: I'm sorry, who? That's yeah. wild. Yeah, their death seems incredible when she just like shatters the mirror and has the, and kills them on the waterbed. Love it. John Ritter getting fucked up with nails.
2: <laughs> yes. Now I will say that I do think one of the problems in this movie is that it takes a long time to get going.
3: Yes. So
2: like. Because there's, well, and, and it, I don't know how else you would do it because there's a lot of story. You know, you have to introduce Tiff, you have to have Tiff become the doll, you have to do all of the setup stuff. But once we finally get to, I, I think, kind of the main feel of the movie that is kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde, but they don't realize that they're Bonnie and Clyde trying to get across country, we're 45 minutes into this hour and a half movie. So, like, it takes a whole long time to get going to the actual plot of the movie. But I don't mind it so much.
3: Yeah, I I think because we spend so much time with Tiffany and Jennifer Tilly if it's to fucking chew up scenery the whole time. Mm. I think that didn't, I didn't think about that really. Like, it didn't bother me. I, I, I could, I think they were trying to like, I, just, I could have done with less of the, the Katherine Heigel romance stuff. Just because again, like, I think I, I understand why it was there and like kind mm-hmm. of setting up the context for why these two were the ones driving them to New Jersey. And like, it makes sense. But, and they're good foils. Yeah, exactly. And, like, it all makes sense. Um, and I, I think Jennifer Tilly really does help make it not feel like it's going on for too long. I think just mm-hmm. her campy, incredible performance helps make it feel like, oh, I don't care how long this is. I would just like her to step on me forever.
2: <laughs> I love that she's the star in this because, you know, it's Bride of Chucky and she is the fucking star. And I love that.
3: God, Brian,
0: Best think, thing to uh,
2: happen to the series, really.
3: The death scene where Bride of Frankenstein is on the fucking TV as she's getting electrocuted, and like, mm-hmm. oh my god, it's just so. Todd McFinnney is so smart. He really god, is. These fucking rules. I loved yeah. it. I had an incredible time.
2: Hell yeah! So next week we're going to continue with the Child's Play franchise with Seed of Chucky, which I really enjoy, but I haven't seen it in forever, uh, so I'm I'm curious to revisit it. As a out queer person.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I've heard obviously so many things about it with the Glenn Glenda character and representing non-binary identity, especially in a movie like this. So I'm very mm-hmm. I'm very excited to experience Seed of Chucky.
2: Yeah. Who are we chatting with on Monday, Mary Beth? Ha. So
3: speaking of child's play, um, yeah. on Monday we are chatting with the legendary cinematographer John R. Leonetti. He DP'd chucky three but he would then go on to create the look of james wan's films like dead silence the conjuring insidious
2: Insidious.
3: um and as a director his latest film lullaby is currently streaming on vod this conversation fucking rules it's it really a really did. awesome like look at horror history he's so cool and just told us so many cool stories
2: so, Dude worked on Poltergeist.
3: He worked on fucking Poltergeist. And so we are chatting a movie that we've chatted before. We are chatting The Exorcist. But don't worry, if you listen to our Exorcist episode, this is a very different kind of episode mm-hmm. in terms of feel and conversation. So get ready for a really, really cool kind of conversation that we haven't had, I think, on the, like, the podcast before.
2: And he was just such a sweet man. He had so many great stories to tell. Like, I... Could have just sat there and listened to him regale us with all the stuff that he's done in his very storied career.
3: It's cool as fuck. So Just
2: amazing. What a great guy.
3: Incredible. So look out for that episode on Monday. It's really, it was a big treat for us. So It was a huge
2: treat, I have to say. Massive.
3: Yeah. So, but listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. Did you watch something that we watched this week and have thoughts? Do you have suggestions for things we should be covering you can let us know by sending us an email at scarredforlifepodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on twitter i am at mb mcandrews
2: and i'm a gaily dreadful
3: and of course don't forget to follow the podcast on twitter at scarred podcast.
2: and please don't forget to review rate subscribe and join us for patreon and if you are a patron help me decide what to watch uh on my backlog list there's a lot
3: (laughs) and we're recording next month's bonus content soon so get very excited Mm. for the content we will be bringing you everybody um thank you to eric power for artwork thank you to sean keller for our music thank you everyone for listening please stay safe out there but most importantly stay creepy
2: and until next time